0: This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. It was a Monday. I was 11 years old. It was uh, sixth grade. And a friend leaned over and said something to me that was shocking. The Friday before, I'd gone over to Lee's house. Lee was one of my closest friends, him and his brother David, and just an incredible family. Lee's parents were there. I spent the night Friday night, and we had a great time. And Lee's dad was the kind of dad that if we were playing ball in the yard or or whatever we were doing, he was involved. And he was the kind of dad that you wanted involved. Like nobody rolled the eyes like, Dad, go somewhere. I mean, his dad was just an incredible guy. That's Friday night. Monday, Mr. McAleer's class. A friend leans over and says, did you hear about Lee's dad? Now Lee didn't go to the same school I went to, and I said, no, what are you talking about? He died this weekend. I was 11, and I, I'm sure I know it wasn't the first time I'd encountered hearing about somebody dying, but it was, it was the first time I processed it in a different way. I remember going to the funeral of Kenneth Parker and Lee's dad, and I remember at the graveside, what was stunning to me was Lee, who's my age, also 11, and his little brother were walking around trying to comfort everybody and greet everybody. And I remember even as an 11-year-old kid thinking, how? And it, it wasn't that they were callous. It wasn't that they didn't care about their dad. There was just, at 11, I remember thinking, that's, that's a peaceful smile. How? And I was thinking about that this week and how for each of us there are things that happen in life that bring unexpected pain or unexpected circumstances. There, there are things in life that just come out of left field and they, they, they're, they're sudden and we feel like, man, I'm not prepared for this. But in reality, there would have been no way to prepare. But it just it sort of knocks us to our heels for a moment. And in those moments, every single one of us, put our faith in something. You may be here today, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming for a little bit and you might say, well, I'm, I'm not really a person of faith. That's not who I am. Yes, you are. This morning, you had faith that your brand of toothpaste was gonna stop that breath from attacking everybody else when you came to church and talked about, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good, I'm so good. You, you had faith when you used your hair dryer that it was gonna work. I, I don't use one of those, but from what I hear, People that use them, you you had faith, your gel or whatever you do before you leave. You had faith when you dropped your toast in that toaster that it was going to heat it up. We have faith thousands of times every day. We just don't think about it. And everybody, if you're on a plane and the ride gets bumpy, everybody's got faith. Even people that don't believe in God, you're, you're praying like, okay, maybe if it's real, let's try this. Like we all have faith. The problem is when crisis hits, we begin to work our faith, but not all faith works. We're in Romans chapter four. And if you're new, what we're doing is we're going verse by verse to the book of Romans. And the reason for that is this. Romans is a book about theology, about doctrine. Why is that important? It's important for us to not just know what we believe, but to know why we believe it. Because when life gets hard, when life feels unfair, when I feel alone, when you feel alone, when we feel like we're struggling, it's not enough to just know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. And Romans does an incredible job of telling us who God is, who we are, and what to do about it. And as we move into Romans chapter four, the last part of chapter four, it's, it's all about faith. What kind of faith is authentic? What kind of faith puts a genuine smile on your face when your heart has been crushed? What, what is that? We all have ideas of faith. Let me tell you what faith is not faith is not living inconsistent with Scripture and then expecting God to bail you out. Faith is not, man, I'm gonna do what I wanna do, how I wanna do it, and I know what the Bible says, but I'm not worried about that. I'm gonna live my life, and then crisis hits, God, I got faith in you, I, got, I need you to come through for me, I got faith in you. No, that, that's not faith, that's stupid. God gave us his word so we would know how to live the best life possible. Faith is also not just being positive. Have you ever met people like that? I, I, I just, sometimes there are highly religious people that say things that we feel a disconnect to. Because faith is one of those things that if you're not careful, it can turn into just positive thinking, or just, just speak positive words over your life. Stop it, you don't have that much authority. You can't pull that off. It's not about just being positive. Faith also is not about just hoping. I've got faith, it'll all work out. I'm, and often what we mean by that is I'm hoping. I'm hoping somehow God will do something, or maybe things will just fall into place if it's not God. But often we say, man, I I got faith it'll all work out. Well, what about when it doesn't? See, your hope is attached to a positive outcome of your circumstances. Your faith is attached to a holy God that will see you through whatever happens, even if it's not positive. And faith, (laughs) faith is not having proof. Faith is trusting God. Faith is not, we read about the faith of Abraham in chapter 4, and last week we looked at this. Abraham met God when he was 75 years old, and Abraham had very little knowledge of God. No Bible, no Bible study to go to. He had very little knowledge of God, but a whole lot of obedience to God. And this guy, this is the guy, not James, not John, not Peter, not Paul. This is the guy that Scripture calls the father of our faith, not because of how much he knew, but because of how much he obeyed. See, faith is it's something on the inside that becomes so rooted in who you are, it can't help but grow on the outside. Faith is never private. It's deeply personal, but it's never private. And Abraham leaves his nation. He, he leaves the economy that he's known most of his family, and he steps into a future full of questions, trusting God for the answers and trusting God for God's timing. God says to Abraham, go to a place I'll show you. Where? Just start going. Just, just start going and I'll show you. See, we, 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 like, we like a GPS God where we can enter the final destination and we know, okay, God, if I do this, here's what you're going to do. And, and we, have you ever bargained with God? God, if you answer this prayer, I promise you, I promise you I will start tithing next Sunday. No, you won't, (laughs) no, you won't. God, if you do this, I'll go to church every Sunday the rest of the year. God, if you do this, man, I'll I'll become a better. God, if you could just do this one day, I'll never ask you for anything else again until the next thing, I promise. (laughs) We, We live in a way that it's hard for us to understand the kind of faith that would cause someone to say, I'll leave everything just because God asked. I'll start going and trust God. As I take step one, he'll show me step two. And as I take step two, he'll show me step three. I'll live in a way that I want to obey God. I don't understand it all. I might not even like a lot of it. But I'm just going to obey and trust what God says. I think we have a hard time trusting God because we've trusted people and gotten burned. You don't have to live long to know how bitter the taste of betrayal is. You don't have to exist very long for somebody to take advantage of you, somebody to manipulate you, somebody to harm you. And and listen, often the people that hurt us the most are the people we love the most. You do remember, Judas had to be close enough to Jesus to betray him, and it was done with a kiss our issue with trusting is we've learned that nobody can fully be trusted and often often let's just be honest the person i trust the least is me like my biggest my biggest struggle in life the person who's caused me the most harm in my life is the guy that i see in the mirror the stupid choices i've got a phd in stupid like the the stupid cho- the things you've had those thoughts man what was i thinking and I wonder if we struggle with the idea of trusting God, because there's no, there's no relationship we can look to in life where I trusted and it worked. I trusted and they were always faithful. I trusted and they never let me down. I trusted and they never betrayed me. I trusted and they never disappointed me. I think another reason we have a hard time trusting God and having faith that he'll do what he's promised, is nobody nobody knows me better than me. And nobody knows you better than you. And for a lot of us in this room, if we could write down a list of people that God's going to bless, we wouldn't put our own name on the list. How, How can I trust in a God and have faith in a God who knows me? So today I wanna ask you a simple question. It's a question that, that you owe it to yourself to answer. It's a question that you owe it to yourself to think about and process beyond just this morning. Because the answer to this question determines so much in our lives. And it determines so much in the lives of the people we love the most. The question is this, is God worthy of our trust? Is he really worthy of our faith? Is he faithful? Can I trust God? And I don't know what you're dealing with in life right now, but I know that God gives us the example of Abraham as to what faith really looks like when God's made a promise, but you're still waiting on the answer. And so in the last part of chapter four, God shows us some things about faith, some some qualities about God and about faith in answering the question, can I really trust Him? The first thing I notice begins in verse 16, and it's this. God can rescue anyone, anywhere, anytime. God can rescue anyone, anywhere, anytime. That includes you. That includes me. There is no point in life, Scripture does not teach, that. there's not a point in life where you can go so far that that God has lost sight of you. There's not a place where you you can do so much that God just says, I'm writing that person off. There is only one thing that the Bible says God will never forgive. We find it in the book of Matthew where Jesus is interacting with some religious leaders and they say, hey, what you just did, the miracle you performed, you performed by the power of Beelzebub. Now, Beelzebub was a false Phoenician god. Beelzebub was actually the god of rottenness and stench and filth. The Phoenicians were a curious people, and they said, we want to know where life comes from. And so they took some raw meat, and they set it out in the sun, and they just watched it for a few days. Now, now what happens if you take raw meat? Don't do it right now, because that stuff costs the price of gold. But, but if, you, if you take raw meat, and you set it out in the dirt and watch it for a few days, what happens? The flies come, and they're, they're, they're these little cute creatures, worms called maggots, that begin to crawl all over it. Well, the Phoenicians observed that and they said, oh, that's where life comes from. Life comes from rottenness and filth and stench. And we'll call the God that creates life Beelzebub. So when Jesus performed a miracle, the religious leaders said, you did that by the power of Beelzebub. They they took the worst thing they could think of and say, that's how you perform this miracle. And it's in that passage in Matthew chapter 12 that, that Jesus looks at them and says, when you blaspheme the spirit of God, you will not be forgiven. There's only one thing that God says you can never be forgiven for, and that is to reject his spirit, to continue to say no. It will be the spirit of God in a few moments. It was the spirit of God last Sunday with nine people that will speak to your heart and say, I want you to be mine. I want you to give your life to me. And if you continue to reject that and say, not now God, later God, I don't think that's for me, I don't know God, I need to think about it God. You continue to reject God, that is rejecting the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that points us to who Jesus is. If you do that, that's rejecting God and you can reach a place where you can't be forgiven for that. You never know when the last time the Spirit of God will draw you will be. And you can say no too many times and without the Spirit of God drawing you and speaking to your heart, you, you can't become a follower of Jesus just anytime you want to. It takes the Spirit of God. But notice verse 16 in Romans chapter 4. Therefore, the promise comes by faith. Promise. Promise. Promise is a tough word because some people have made promises to you they've broken. You've made promises to yourself that you've broken. The promise, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of nations. The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. God says, I'm I'm making you a promise and I've put a guarantee on it. Not only to those who are of the law, but also those who have the faith of Abraham. So, even if you're a Gentile and you have the faith of Abraham, you don't have to just be a Jew and abide by the law. Anybody that has the faith of Abraham, the faith in the one true God, I'm making this promise. He is father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom we believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. God, God could have picked a theologian like Paul and said, This is who you need to have faith like. He could have picked James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, and said, mimic, exemplify his faith in your life. Imitate him. He could have picked any of the disciples, many of whom gave their lives for what they saw in the Messiah and Jesus. They didn't give their lives for what they believed. They gave their lives for what they saw. They saw a resurrected Christ. God could have picked anybody to call the father of our faith, but he picks somebody that shows us he can rescue anyone, anywhere, anytime. Somebody that's living like a pagan at 75 years old on the backside of nowhere. God changes his life and says, you're the father of faith. Because with God, it's never about how much we know. It's always about how much we obey. The grace may be guaranteed. Did you know there's nothing but Jesus that's guaranteed? Guaranteed. Think about it there are no guarantees there are no other guarantees in life the economy i bought i bought gas this week for my truck and i didn't know whether to fall to my knees and pray or cuss out loud and scream 148 bucks for a tank of gas like we passed stupid a long time ago but that's that's a separate message we'll wait till later the economy now i'm going to say this because it's true this is not a political statement this is a truthful statement Please hear what I just said. In fact, I'm going to say it again. This is not a political statement. This is a truthful statement. There are no guarantees, including the vaccine. Like, that's just true. There are no guarantees when it comes to our job. Only Jesus is the guarantee that has never failed. And the faith of Abraham, God says, is to be an example for us because he can rescue anyone, anywhere, anytime. And Abraham obeyed what God asked. Abraham didn't know much, but he obeyed a lot. He says, those who have the faith of Abraham, the faith in one God, the God revealed in the Bible. He's not speaking of an eclectic or convenient faith where I approach the word of God or I approach theology, which is a belief system. And I say, okay, I'm going to pick these things because I like them. And I'm going to ignore these things because I don't. And I kind of want to do my own thing. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about a a pick-and-choose kind of faith. He's saying this is a faith in the one true God who sent his son so we can know him personally, and Abraham just obeyed. There's another thing we notice about God's faithfulness. God is successful without my help. Have you you ever thought God needed your help? Even in hyper, okay, God, we're going to put an offer in for this house, and God, I just want you to know, like, I know you're busy, and so you just need to know, that this is the perfect house for us. And we just want you to know that, like, th- if you could just work this out. God, my, my, my daughter's applying to several colleges, but this is the one God I know. I, 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 like, I know her. I'm her dad. Like, this is the one. Telling God. Have you ever thought... Listen. Have you ever thought? I think I could just help God out. There are times when I'm driving. I think I, I, I wish it was legal to just punch people in the throat. I'd probably do it about five. Like I could help God humble some people, and then God reminds me, you more than anybody need to be humbled if you think like that. But wh- wh- what would you do <laughs> if you could get away with it to help God out? Who would you erase? Come on, you got a list. Everybody's got a list. Like who are some people? That just, pff, they'd be gone. But what I've noticed about my life, the areas that I try to help God out, I end up blowing up. God, God is successful without my help. Have you ever felt like you have nothing? Have you ever felt like you don't know enough? You know nothing? Have you ever felt that you're nothing? You look at some people, and in your mind you think, I I know nobody's perfect, but I I can understand why God would bless them. I can understand why God would answer their prayers, but I'm, I'm nothing. Before the beginning of time, God knew that you would be in this room in this moment, and he knew the verse we would talk about. Verse 17, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. It's talking about the theological doctrine of ex nihilo. It's a Latin term that means out of nothing. As we look at our vast world, as we look at planet earth, and we think about the universe and the intricate detail of creation, the vast expanse, the the endless types of things that are on earth, Some people look at all that and say, that that came from nothing. Let me ask you, in your entire life, in all of your experiences of life, what does nothing make? What can nothing make? Nothing makes nothing in the human experience. But, But all of creation, think about this. Not the human experience, but the supernatural experience with God involved. All of creation came from nothing when God simply spoke. Have you ever considered how powerful the words of God are? Out of nothing, God spoke. God's word, think about it, has the power to bring something many things from nothing. God has the power to bring everything from nothing. The Word of God is so powerful, out of nothing, He spoke. And you and I have access to the words of God every single day. The powerful words of God. Hebrews 11.3 3 says, the world was created by the Word of God. Now some of you, you you, you believe in a big bang, and I get that. I'm not trying to disrespect you. I, I don't agree. I don't believe in a big bang. I believe in a big God. But, but whatever you believe, and if you believe in a big game, I'm not big big bang. I'm not mad at you. It's cool. But I believe in the reality of what Scripture teaches. And the Bible says that God spoke the world into existence. And as the Word of God is heard, things come into existence that were not there As you absorb when you read the Word of God or when you attend a gathering like this, as you absorb the Word of God, often peace begins to reside where it was absent. As you engage and hear the Word of God, often what you thought was impossible, the idea of forgiving someone becomes probable because of what the Spirit of God is doing in your life through His Word. It's through the Word of God that you and I learn to forgive ourselves. It's through the Word of God that we learned what it means to be kind to people. It's through the Word of God that we learn how much God loves us. The Word of God is powerful. We so underestimate the Word of God that spoke creation into existence from nothing that we discount its power in our lives day by day. I wonder what would happen in your life in my life if we spent just a few minutes a day reading and taking in the powerful words of God, spending a few minutes reading the Scriptures each day because God can create something out of nothing. God is successful without any help. He doesn't need anyone or anything to accomplish his purposes. You might look into your future and think, I don't have anything. And God looks at you and says, I don't need anything. You might look at your life and think, I'm a nobody. And God will look at you and say, that's perfect. I can make you a somebody. You might look at your marriage and think, love is dead, there's nothing left. And God says, that's awesome. I've always been able to make something out of nothing. It's who God is. The only thing God needs is his word. That's why his promises are so important. That's why you're missing out. You are missing out in your life. You are living a less than life compared to what you could live if you're not spending a little bit of time each day in the word of God because it is powerful and it is life changing. And often he will create out of emptiness and nothing, something miraculous in your life, but you miss it if you're not taking it in. God, as I look at the rest of my life, you might think, where am I gonna get the time? Where am I gonna get the resources? God, where am I gonna get the energy that our grandkids, we're visiting four of our grandkids from North Carolina this week, the energy of a four-year-old? Like we could change the world if we could have that stuff. <laughs> Good night, the energy of okay, God, where, where, where am I gonna get the friendships that will help me to be a better person and a better husband, a better, a better wife, a better father, a better mother? God, where will I find that? God, how will I know the opportunities? that will grow me and help me become more than I am? How am I going to resource the rest of my life? And God simply says, I don't need your help. I don't need anything. When the time is right, I'll just speak. See, God is not limited to function with what we can see. He brings into existence things that were not there before. And so when we look into the future and we're filled with, oh no, I don't know how I'm gonna make it. God says, oh yes, I know exactly how. The power of God to create the world and create your life, a life worth living is unlimited and he can pull it all off simply with his word. Our God lacks nothing. There's not one area where he's deficient. So part of faith is trusting what God says until you see what God does. It's how, it's how to remain calm. I remember a few years ago, I was walking out of Publix in Avalon, and this, this man and woman, I don't know if they were husband or wife, I don't know what was going on, but they were having, they were, I, I would say discussion, but as church, someone will tell the truth, they were having an argument. And the volume was turned up. And all, I'm walking to I'm walking the car, and I hear him say to her, you just need to calm down. That's gonna work like trying to baptize a cat. Like that. that's, men. write that down. That's not a phrase you ever use. <laughs> but but we, we all, in a sense, in our world and how uptight we've gotten and how offended we're ready to be at any moment and how bothered we are by everything, we need to calm down. We just need to take a breath. And it is the Word of God that brings that calm and that peace to our lives. We need to lean into our faith in the midst of chaos. And so when chaos hits and you lean into your faith, what are you placing your faith in? I need to say what I'm about to say because I feel like God wants me to and because of the season that we're in. But I want you to understand before I say this, because some of you are not gonna listen after I say this. I want you to understand before I say this, the statement i'm making is a biblical statement it is a spiritual statement i'm trying to my my responsibility as pastor is to take us where we need to go not where we want to go i'm watching far too many people put their faith in a political philosophy we are in an election year and there's a lot of talk and it's not that those things aren't important what you believe and how you believe and how you vote, that's between you and Jesus. We don't tell you how to do that. I don't have any right to tell you how to do that. The cool thing is you answer to one God, and he's not me. You get to decide for you what you believe God wants you to do. But what I am troubled by is in every election, there are people who vote for their Savior. The people are the party that they think are going to bring heaven into all the hell that we face. And when your candidate wins, you feel great. We're all in heaven now. It's great and there's a euphoria that you feel. Then as time passes, it doesn't take long to realize, no, we're still in hell, wrong savior. When you place your faith in elected officials, when you place your faith in any human being, a pastor, a spouse, a teacher, a coach, when you place your faith in anyone other than Jesus, you're placing your faith in a leader, that can only use your resources because their own are not enough. And especially political parties. They will take what you have, but they cannot give you what you need. Faith in Jesus is different. Jesus doesn't take what you have, but He gives you what you need. So... Some of you are like, crap, some people are clapping. i got to clap, I hate this. <laughs> I know how you think. But here's the reality, church. For those of you that are part of C3, if you're a guest, you don't have to do this. You go crazy uh, you know, for kicks and grins, whatever you want to do. But as we approach this election season, can we please... Can we please be more passionate about helping people place their faith in Jesus over a political party? You don't win when you get people to vote like you. You win when you help people know Jesus that you know and He changes their lives. There's another thing I see in this passage. I love this part. I love this part. God is trustworthy in every moment. Now sometimes life doesn't feel like that. Notice notice verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. Isn't that what life's like? Against all hope, Abraham in hope. There are moments when you feel like it's against all odds. It's against all hope. Hope is faded, it's eroded, it's gone. There's nothing left. But even though hope is entirely absent, I'm going to continue to hope. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. (laughs) That's funny. Since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Against all hope, God said, I'm gonna make you the father of nations and for 20 years, five years, it didn't happen. We, 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 we prefer the Chick-fil-A God, where I order and you got two lines to pick up the food and you're gonna say my pleasure, whatever I say to you. We prefer the God that is pretty instantaneous. Okay, you make a promise, deliver by tomorrow or you're late. 25, some of you, 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 you've been waiting for God to bring you a spouse for about five years and you're sweating buckshot, 25 years. Twenty-five, I don't know where that came from. I'm from Texas, that's probably where it came from. But but promises were made by God to Abraham, but he did not deliver on them immediately. And rarely does God deliver on a promise immediately. And Abraham by faith held on to those promises until he could hold on to his child. For 25 years, he held on to the promise of God. Just because you haven't seen it, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You hold on to the promises of God until you have the reality that he's promised to bring you. For 25 years, Abraham, knowing less than we know, trusted more than we trust. And maybe this is for you. You don't need to know more. You need to trust more. Your peace, your comfort, All that you're looking for will not be found in you discovering answers. It will be found in you holding on by faith and trusting the God who's made promises. Don't worry just about learning more. Start believing more in what you have learned and hold on to it. See, God is the only one that's worthy of our trust. He has a track record. He has been 100% trustworthy all the time. There's not one leader, not one person that you and I can point to that has a track record and a history of being 100% trustworthy, the track record God has. God has never once broken his word, even accidentally. I read this this week, so I want to I share it with you just in case I haven't offended you already. Th- this week, I-, I read this. In 1916, Woodrow Wilson promised to avoid war. 29 days into his second term, he declared war on Germany. He broke his promise. In 1928, Herbert Hoover promised prosperity. In fact, his phrase was, quote, a chicken in every pot and a car in every backyard, end quote. Eight months later, the Great Depression. In 1940, FDR said, quote, your boys are not going to be sent into any foreign wars, end quote. Then Pearl Harbor, and we went to war in Japan. In 1964, Lyndon Johnson promised he would not send any American soldiers to Asia. And then he sent multiple deployments to Vietnam. In 1976, Jimmy Carter promised to solve the energy crisis and he failed miserably. In 1988, George Bush, Republic, Republicans and Democrats, I'm an equal offender, Republicans and Democrats. In 1988, George Bush, remember? Read my lips, no new taxes. And then the recession exploded and he signed a bill increasing all our taxes. It would have been more accurate if Bush would have said, read my lips, we all lie. Because the reality is, meaning to or not, some people, well-meaning people, listen, I I believe there are Republicans and Democrats and independents that are well-meaning, but the reality is we don't know everything God knows. And for us to make a promise, we cannot carry out every promise we make because we cannot control all of the tomorrows, no matter who you are. The only person that can do that is God. But we all feel at times like we're in hell and we want to be in heaven, so we pick our Savior. But we've watched leader after leader that we pick not deliver on their promises. And many of them have lied, but none of them have brought the heaven that we crave. You vote for who you vote for because you believe they will make people's lives better and your life better. You have your reasons. And what you're wanting is heaven on earth. But when we pick anyone but God to be our savior, when we place our faith in anyone or anything else, we always get the mess instead of the Messiah. Because only God is completely faithful. Only God is completely trustworthy. Jesus is the only leader worthy of your trust because he's the only leader that's been proven 100% trustworthy. Did you know that 25% of the Bible, 25% of the Bible is prophetic? It's God predicting and God promising the future, and he's been proven 100% faithful to every promise he's ever made for thousands of years of human history. There is no one else like that. Verse 20, yet he did not waver. This is so good. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises or the promise of God. Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. A year goes by. Two years go by. Five years go by. Ten, 15, 20. It takes 25 years. He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God. But what about what about what about when Sarah, Abraham's wife, came to him and said, "Abraham, we're clearly not going to have kids. I mean, I know what God promised, but this isn't going to work. You you need to go have sex with Hagar. You need to hook up with my my servant Hagar." And Abraham was like, "Well, anything for the family. I mean, whatever." you really want me to remember this was your idea write it down we're gonna sign No, I I don't think he said that I don't know what he said sometimes I read the Bible I just think of it but I I don't know what he said but but think about it this is a guy who who, in a sense struggled so bad in his faith that he decided to help God out and I okay I'm gonna have sex with her and we're gonna have a kid and, and then God's promise will be true no God did not promise you would have a kid with somebody he promised you'd have a kid with Sarah God was very specific in his promise, but sometimes we twist the promises of God to fit our agenda, and we go ahead and act on what we think will hurry up and make God make it happen, and we pick less than what God had intended because we want things to happen that God has promised, but it's just taking God way too dang long. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. Is the Bible lying? No. Because real faith is not perfect faith. Real faith is faith in a perfect God. And it is not about your faith, it is about the object of your faith. And the Bible teaches that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. You and I will have doubts. We will struggle. You and I, we will sin. That is true for every single Christ follower. Our faith is not based on our behavior. It's based on God's promise. So even when I fail, if I'm continuing to hold on to faith in God, I can do that because he doesn't fail. Don't be discouraged. The father of our faith, Abraham, had some bad days, and you will too, and I will too. Our lives do not have to be perfect for our faith to be real. Our bad days, even on those, our God is a good God see the difference here why scripture could say his faith was unwavering here's the difference there's a difference in struggling in your faith and leaving your faith there's a difference in wrestling with or not liking or wanting to trust and wanting to believe but but struggling in that god uh, what are you doing right now where are you what is happening in my life That is faith trying to understand, that is not faith abandoning God. And so in Abraham's journey, his faith grew stronger as he struggled and as he sinned sometimes, he continued to hold on to what God says. And he may have had moments where he messed it up, but he continued to come back. His default position was leaning into trusting God, even when it didn't make sense, and coming back to trusting God, even when he messed up and being unwavering in ultimately, God is God and I am not. Remember, this is the guy who said, I'm gonna obey even though I don't know much. This is that guy. There's a huge difference and struggling with your faith, and abandoning your faith. And the truth is, all of us will struggle in our faith. But I think we need to remember, we grow in the difficult places, in the struggles, the uncomfortable, the unknown. Don't run from your questions. Lean into them. Don't ignore your doubts. Process them. Don't run from your struggles. Walk through them it is the resistance training of your faith and God is going to prove faithful and you will grow stronger as God is patient with you. You will grow stronger as God walks with you. You will grow stronger as God picks you back up again and again and again and your faith will grow stronger as God reveals his faithfulness. The most important thing is not just to have faith. The most important thing is who you place your faith in. And God is the only one worthy of that level of trust and belief. So why does he do it? Why 25 years? Why why the amount of time that you're having to wait for a prayer that you're begging God to answer? You're having to wait for something you hope God will do that you haven't seen yet. And what you're praying for and what you're hoping and what you're trying to lean into, it's not a bad thing, it's a good thing. Why, why are you having to wait? Because the strength that you're going to develop in this season, in this resistance training, you're going to need in the next season. God sees what's coming in your life, and He's developing you and He's growing you to be able to be successful in what you face day in and day out. And what you're learning now and the strength that you're developing now, you're going to need in the next season. So you're not ready for what's coming yet. You, you, you're in practice. And everybody hates practice. I grew up in Texas playing football. I hated two-a-days. It, it is hot as Gehenna hell in Texas. I mean, two-a-days. And one of the worst things is we'd practice in the morning, and when we'd go back in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, when you go back into that locker room and you realize, oh, they didn't wash our stuff from this morning. <laughs> it was nasty with a capital T. I mean, it, it was gross. But the reality is, God is getting ready you ready for the game. You, you need to become stronger. There are some things you're gonna deal with. Listen, parents, your faith needs to grow for your kids to be inspired by it. Your faith needs to grow to set the legacy that you wanna set in your life. Faith never grows in comfortable places. Faith never grows in easy seasons. Faith grows through the challenges and the difficulties, and it is in the waiting period. Last thing very quickly, our God can do anything. Why is all this recorded in the Bible? Part of the reason is, hey, if God can do this, He can do anything. Verse 23, the words it was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us. Oh, you you thought we were studying history about Abraham. No, this isn't just for him, this is for us. To whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. What does it mean? God brings life to dead people. God, God in your struggle, God in this season, God while you're waiting, he's not trying to make you better. He's trying to make you new. God is trying to, the the old you, the old me has to die. That's what coming to Jesus in faith is. The old me is gone. I'm not trying to improve. I'm not trying to be better. I'm not trying to be harder. My problem is I'm dead and I need to be brought to life. And that's what God offers through Jesus. And if he can do that, he can do anything. If the tomb is empty, God can do anything. If Jesus is alive, you and I are going to live. This is for you. It's not just a history lesson of God speaking to Abraham. This is for you, the Bible says for us who believe. So the most important decision you will ever make in your life, the most important decision you will ever make in all of eternity, from the moment you take your first breath until you take your last and then you step into forever, the most important decision you will ever make in your entire existence is what are you putting your faith in? Have you put your trust in Jesus? And maybe not knowing much, and not knowing how it's going to turn out, and not knowing what's going to happen, you're just going to obey and say, yes, God, I invite you into my life. I ask you to forgive me my sin, and I want you to be my Lord. Everyone believes in someone or something. Do you believe, have you truly trusted in Jesus and placed your faith in him? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you know this is the day. This is the day you need to give your life to Christ. I'd love to give you an opportunity to do that with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And I want to invite you, whether you pray it out loud or you pray it in the quietness of your heart, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of faith. Placing your trust, your faith, in Jesus and what he did on the cross and raising from the dead to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine, making it possible for you to know the Father, to be connected with the Father, the perfect heavenly Father in an intimate daily relationship. That's what he offers. If you'd like to do that, just pray this prayer. Just say, dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life, forgive my sin, and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.